Attention, attention, all personnel, incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Over and out. Attention, all personnel. It's finally time for the season seven recap on MASH Matters. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. Season seven recap. Here we go. How you doing, Jeff? I'm okay. I'm so excited. And uh, I'm ready to go for season seven. Not season six. We've been there. And we're not this season eight. But this season seven. So I was curious, you know, we've been doing this podcast now for over five years. And I'm exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we did, you know, uh, the first six seasons, we did recaps within those first few years. And I started thinking, when did we do the season six recap? How long ago was it? (laughs) Because, you know, it's kind of been a running joke here on the podcast that we would eventually get to season seven. After a while, it just kind of became funny because we kept putting it off and off and off. So I thought, how long ago did we actually do the season? Season six recap. Yeah. Do you want to guess when we did that, Jeff? Boy, let's see. I think COVID was really bad. I didn't have it, but everybody I knew had it. So <laughs> uh, I was in my house in a hazmat suit. We we released the season six recap on January 15th, 2022. Wow. Holy moly. Almost two years ago. My goodness. I'm sorry. I had no idea that we had put it off for this long. We should be fined. I think we should be fined for that. We say (laughs) we're going to do these recaps. We should do them in a prompt manner. Hey, better late than never. Yes. Here we go. The season seven recap. Yes. We put out on our social media pages a call for listeners' favorite MASH episodes from season seven. And now we're going to run through each episode in broadcast order, read a few listener comments for each episode, give a little behind the scenes facts and anything else that we feel needs to be addressed. And then later, I know I'm going to be sharing my three favorite episodes from this season. Jeff, do you have favorite episodes to share as well? I do. Great. I actually do. That's all coming at the very end. So that's the climax, the big finale. I I stunned you when I said I do, didn't I, Ryan? (laughs) You said, you do? Really, Jeff? I was a little taken aback, yes. Uh, Well, I do. I have my favorites. Well, we're going to get to them. So here we go. The first episode of season seven was Commander Pierce. This is when Hawkeye uh, becomes temporary commander of the 4077th and lots of hilarity and hijinks and whatnot. Yeah, Ken says this episode goes against type. Hawkeye devolves into the sort of officer he and Trapper or BJ spent the series railing against. The confrontation between Hawkeye and BJ when BJ returns to the camp is as dramatic as it is unexpected for best friends. But for me, what puts this episode on top is when Margaret, shocked at what Hawkeye has become, provides some perspective, telling Pierce, If only Frank Burns could see you now. It's not so easy to play the clown when you have to run the circus, is it? You finished, Major? Just one more thing. Permission to say it serves you right, sir. Permission denied. Dismissed. And Kevin says, being such a great surgeon, it was interesting to see something Hawkeye was bad at. (laughs) You know, starting with this episode, we see a change in BJ's uh, style. His hair is a little bit longer. He has a different wardrobe. And as we discussed in our uh, previous episode about preventative medicine, this was the season where he debuted his new mustache. And, you know, he also starts that attitude shift that we talked about in that episode. He becomes a little more surly and a little more aggressive. And some would even say he's uh, sanctimonious as well. Mm -hmm. As Ken mentioned in his comment, there's that moment when Hawkeye gets 
gets angry at BJ for leaving camp. Are you okay? Yeah. Good. Now, what the hell were you doing? You think you can just waltz out of here anytime you want? Not now, Hart. Don't give me not now. While you were driving around playing hero, we were trying to patch together a whole platoon with only two doctors. Hey, I wasn't joyriding. When I go up to an aid station, it's because I'm needed. You should have checked with me first. What you did was wrong. I did exactly what Captain Pierce would have done. I don't know about Commander Pierce. I don't even know Commander Pierce. And I'm not sure I want to. But in the very next episode, which we're going to talk about in just a second, he does the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Hawkeye. Yeah, mm. I don't know. And of course, any episode that features drunk Potter is tops in my book. Yep, exactly. Watching Harry Morgan do anything is really a treat. The next episode that we just kind of alluded to is Peace on Us. Uh, This is when Hawkeye becomes so uh, disgusted with the peace talks or the lack of peace talks. He uh, jumps in the Jeep and heads to the peace talks and saves the world. And then comes back and everybody's wearing red. Well, our good friend Monica says, I love the red party. There's something wacky, subversive, and wholesome about it. A perfect way to cope with mounting pressures and an overall insane situation. Before I knew seasons and episode titles better, I gave my husband strict instructions that if he was up watching TV and caught this episode as I was sleeping, he should wake me up. Now that I have the DVDs, I can pop it in anytime I want. This is one of my favorite of the whole series. Wow, that's quite an endorsement. Jin says, I feel it has some particularly moving scenes. The one in which Hawkeye and Margaret kick the can back and forth while venting about their problem is one. It breaks my heart when Margaret says she is going to get a divorce and starts crying. What are you going to do? Get a divorce, that's what. Get a divorce. (laughs) Margaret, I'm sorry. My fault. Look at the place I picked to have a marriage. Another is when Margaret later turns to Potter for advice. When she definitely decides to get divorced, Potter barks, then do it, in his uniquely Potter-esque way. I sometimes think about this scene at times when I have to make a difficult decision. However, I admit there is one scene that is my favorite purely out of vanity. I always get a kick out of the red party. Like the major who shows up to talk to Hawkeye, I have red hair and I would fit in at that party. (laughs) You know, that red party was really interesting because when suddenly Major Houlihan came on the scene and she had red hair, I thought, wow, she looks pretty darn good in that red hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really, I thought that was pretty good. Well, anyway. Beck says, I know what Hawkeye does is highly unrealistic, but we finally get Margaret realizing she and Donald are past the point of return and the red party is just a silly, goofy time. And Ken says, Peace on Us is not just my favorite season seven episode. It is my favorite MASH episode full stop. Hmm. It's the ultimate Hawkeye tilting at windmill story with a joyful ending that gives everyone something fun to do and celebrate. An Alan Alda triumph. Wow, boy, a couple of really great endorsements for that episode. My goodness. Wow. All right. So this episode is a little bit polarizing because of the red party. Yeah. And also because of his jumping in a Jeep and driving off to the peace talks. Yeah. You do have to really suspend disbelief for this episode. Jamie Farr does not appear in the red party scene. I'm not sure why. Maybe Jamie just didn't want to have red hair. He may that, have well, that's possible. That's <laughs> possible. 
<laughs> Ken Levine in his blog says that the episode where everybody dyes their hair was based on an actual incident that they found in research. So I guess if it's based on truth, then we can't complain about it too much. There you go. In the book, TV's Mash, the Ultimate Guidebook, Kevin Hagen talks about the scene at the end when he takes his helmet off and his hair is red. In the meantime, it looks like you're having a little party here. Would you care to join us? <laughs> well, I don't know. You think I fit in? He really did have red hair, but evidently it didn't show up very well. So they actually had to add more red to his hair. They had to take some <laughs> postal paint and add it to his hair to make it look more red to show up in the scene. Gosh, I'm I'm sure sorry I missed that scene. Golly gee. <laughs> Here's my biggest beef with the party. So the distance from Weejeonbu, South Korea to Seoul, South Korea is 15 miles. So even if Hawkeye is driving 15 miles an hour, <laughs> they still would only have had an hour to put the entire Red Party together. Yeah. And plus, several of the characters are already totally in the bag, drunk, wasted. So how slow was he driving or did he get lost or did he take the longest route possible back to the 4077? I don't know. We're never going to solve that. We're just never going to solve it. No, no, we're not. Next in season seven is the episode Lil, and that is where Colonel Potter strikes up a uh, friendship with a visiting nurse, Colonel Lillian Rayburn, as played by the lovely Carmen Matthews. And Grace Ann says Carmen Matthews was such a wonderful guest. I agree. Oh, she was. She really was. And Sarah said, uh, Lil is my fave season seven episode and probably in my top 10 of all. I love that we get to see a different side of Colonel Potter, how Ray feels protective of him, and I also like her advice to Margaret. Brian says, my favorite is Lil because of the great old songs and the opportunity for Harry Morgan to break new ground with the Potter character. My dad was a talented musician and singer, and I can hear him singing many of those songs in this episode. G-A-N spells Harrigan. Harrigan. Proud of all the Irish blood that's in me. In me. Divil a man can say a word again me. Again me. That's Hey. Oh my God, they're being tortured. G-A-N-U-C is a name that a shame never has been connected with. Harrigan, that's me. Boom, boom. I can also see him doing some of those steps that Potter and Lil shared. I'm also thankful that Potter did not give in to temptation in the moment with Lil. Kernjeet says, I never really used to care for it, but I recently rewatched it. And besides the amazing B plot of Hawkeye trying to figure out what BJ stands for, I really like the strong female character of Lil. Back when women were expected to follow a certain path, Lil did just what she wanted. She focused on her work, never got married, and just followed her heart. I love the exchange between her and Margaret when Margaret asks if she has any regrets. Regrets? Hell no. I wouldn't have it any other way. Women like us are lucky, Margaret. Well, we've seen more of the world than most people dream of. And let's face it, there's an excitement about our work. It's exciting when you help put some kid back together and then watch him walk out of here. And it's great to see how this conversation energizes Margaret. And whether or not Lil is truly happy with the decisions can be up for debate but the fact that she still defied expectations is pretty inspiring. Lil, played by Carmen Matthews. Uh, Miss Matthews was a, a prolific actress. She had a six-decade-long career on stage and screen. She was also a devoted environmentalist and philanthropist. Later in life, she founded a summer camp for disadvantaged children, and she passed away in 1995. 
and Karen, she, she mentioned the plot line with Hawkeye trying to figure out what BJ stands for. Yeah. His two guesses are Belvedere Jehoshaphat and Benito Juarez. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I love it when uh, BJ actually tells him what it stands for and he doesn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just want to give a little PSA here. If you ever decide to Google the phrase Lil Mash, you will find that there is a rapper named Lil Mash. Wow. Fun fact. A rapper? Yes. Oh, Lil Mash. <laughs> Lil Mash. Lil Mash. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, we should have Lil Mash on the show. <laughs> on, come on. Let's get Lil Mash. Hey, I will put a link to Lil Mash's SoundCloud page in the show notes. Yeah. Our next uh, episode in season seven is Our Finest Hour, which was a two-part clip show. Carrie says, very impactful. And Mulcahy saying that someone should say something nice about Winchester is funny and so well done. This is the only episode of the entire series to feature the entire cast because it went back and used clips from Henry and Trapper and Frank and everybody who wasn't there at the 407 7th anymore. So you had an episode with everybody in it for the first time ever. There's a clip from Adam's ribs also where Hawkeye goes berserk in the mess tent, which is an incident that you have talked about several times on this podcast. And in that clip, the scene is much longer than it was in the original episode. So you get to see more of that Alan Alda meltdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Next up in season seven, the billfold syndrome. Charles gets so irate because he was turned down for a future position that he refuses to talk to anybody in the unit. In the meantime, Sydney is hypnotizing a soldier who has lost his memory. Debbie says, so gut-wrenching, I cannot watch it anymore. But a spot-on storyline that people prefer not to think about. The things soldiers see and have to live in eternity seeing in their mind again and again and again. Susan says, Billfold syndrome is excellent because it highlights the emotional and mental effects of war, the pressure and guilt of being responsible for, and the guilt over the loss of a sibling. Gut-wrenching to watch, yet this is tempered somewhat by the fact that Charles opts not to speak, and in the end, the note, gentlemen, look up, is brilliant and proves Charles a worthy adversary, so unlike Frank. And Tina says, Kevin Gear gives a stunning performance as a medic who suffers traumatic memory loss after discovering his brother has been killed in battle. Dr. Freeman designs a recreation of that discovery, complete with sounds of artillery and interaction with the brother's comrades that allows Nielsen to recover his memory and confront his brother's death. There was a similar plot line in a 2004 episode of NCIS starring Charles Durning as a Medal of Honor winner suffering long-term PTSD from World War II. He received an Emmy Award nomination for that performance. Kevin Gere should have received one as well. Damn it, Lieutenant, answer me! Is he dead? Uh, I don't know, Nielsen. I haven't seen him. I gotta find him. Please help me find him. We're looking, Jerry, but we can't find him. We have to. I promised Mom I'd look out for him. She's counting on me. I'm the oldest. She said it's my job. Not that, too. It'll kill her. Stevie! 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 Believe it or not, according to IMDb, this was Kevin Gear's first acting credit. Wow, really? And he's really good in this episode. Mm. 
The therapy technique that Sydney uses is similar to an actual method that's used by the army. There is a film, a training film online. I will put a link to this in the show notes if you want to watch it. It's on YouTube. It's called Psychiatric Procedures in the Combat Area, and it's from 1944. And there's an actual case that's very similar to what's depicted in this episode in that movie. You're back on the battlefield now. What are you doing? What are you doing? What happens then? What happens then? You're in your hole. Watch out, those shells are coming. Watch out! Duck! Well, they probably got that from maybe what they knew was real. Right, yeah. What did I say? (laughs) I went around the block to get there, but, you know, yeah, it was, they they took real things and put that in the show, which they used to do. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving on to None Like It Hot. Gabrielle says, I love None Like It Hot because it's the episode when Igor comes back. Hey, Gabrielle. Well, that's the episode for tonight. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) And Colleen says, I loved how Potter made that deal with Klinger to get out of the army. You knew he was going to ultimately fail, but it was hilarious to see him come so close to succeeding. I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand it anymore. Get away! The best part was Hawkeye and BJ getting something positive out of giving up the tub by getting some ice cream for Radar to help soothe his tonsillitis. How about a nice cool drink of water? That ought to drown your sorrows. Uh, uh, no more water. Ice cream, strawberry. Radar, this is Korea. There isn't a good humor man within 10,000 miles. And could you guys kind of leave? I'd like to be alone in my misery. This is the bathtub episode when Hawkeye and BJ order the bathtub from Abercrombie and Fitch. And uh, it sets off a whole chain of events. But like we said, Igor returns and he is guarding the bathtub with a rifle (laughs) and keeping an eye on his Mickey Mouse watch to make sure that everybody gets the exact same amount of time. My genuine Michelle Mousset watch. <laughs> Ted Gehring, he has a return appearance to MASH. He plays the supply officer who's trying to get them to sell the bathtub to him. He also played a supply officer in The Incubator, but with a different name and a different rank, but they were both very similar. They were both scoundrel types of characters. He was really good at playing that, I guess. No sale, no how. I got it figured out. You're making money on this, aren't you? I've seen that lineup. Now, what, how much you charging? Five bucks a butt? Ten? Nothing. Nothing for a skinny dip in paradise? What are you guys, communist? Yet. All right. But you haven't heard the last of Sergeant Roden. Nobody says no to the scrounger. No? There's the scene where Klinger jumps into the tub with Margaret. Margaret runs out wrapped in a towel. But instead of going to her own tent, she goes to the mess tent. <laughs> Why? Oh, she uh, she wanted to see Igor. Must have been. <laughs> no, Igor was out there with the gun. Oh, with the gun. Yeah, oh, that's Maybe right. Maybe she knew yeah. Igor wasn't in there, and that's why she... <laughs> I don't know. This episode centers around this bathtub. But in earlier seasons, we had this giant corrugated metal pool out in the compound at one point. And there's also a uh, tub scene in the episode Deluge, which a soldier with phosphorus rounds in his wounds is dunked so they can be removed. But in an upcoming episode in season seven, uh, they take a coffin and fill it with warm water to treat a patient. So why the big deal about this flipping bathtub? Yeah, I don't know. Don't know why that's such a big deal. Yeah. 
Don't know. I don't get it. And for Igor to have a gun, that was pretty big. <laughs> <My God. laughs> right? I can't believe somebody would give Igor a gun, but they did. And what was he going to do with it if somebody went over? Yeah, really. <laughs> and when Father Mulcahy pops his head out and yells at the crowd for trying to get him out of the tub, mm -hmm. it appears that he's holding a toilet brush. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Hey, I mean, you got to do with what you have, I guess, but my goodness. Wow. The other thing is uh, the entire camp is using the same bathwater. Oh, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, four or five folks, but ah, the whole camp, give me yeah. a break. Are you a bath guy? I'm not a bath guy. Never have been, never will be. <laughs> not a bath guy. Nope. Uh -uh. Yeah, I'm nope. not a bath guy, and I'm certainly not a bath guy with water that other people have already um, bathed in. <laughs> yeah, really. I don't like sitting in my own bathwater. I mean, I know where I've been and I don't like sitting in there with me. Right? So, gee, with other people. Ugh, yeah. You know, that's in the in the old days. Back in the old days, when I was a young whippersnapper, hot tubs were pretty, pretty popular. Yeah. And that was the wild and crazy thing to do to go to a party and jump in a hot tub. <laughs> and I will admit I've jumped in a couple of hot tubs. Uh -huh. But when I was sober and realized I was in a hot tub, I jumped out of the hot tub <laughs> because I didn't like being in there with a lot of people sitting around who I didn't know. It was a weird time. Anyway. Next up, season seven, they call the wind Korea. That's when the big windstorm hits the 407 7th and uh, Klinger and Charles spend the night in an overturned truck tending to a wounded soldier. Curtis says, I love any episode where they're dealing with the weather and we're lucky enough to get intense heat and intense cold all within a couple of episodes of each other. Must be hard to be a farmer in Korea. Yeah. So right before this episode is none like it hot when it's so hot and everybody wants to cool off in the bathtub. And then all of a sudden in the very next episode, it is freezing cold and there's a windstorm. So there you <laughs> <Right>. go. <laughs> Charles says, while the Margaret and Radar stories in that episode were great, it marked the first pairing of Charles and Max. Whoever thought of that gold pairing up should have at least gotten an Emmy nomination for that alone. Ah, this is great! We're lost! There's a freezing storm on its way! And no one knows we're missing! We'll be lucky if we make it through the night! How wonderful it is to travel with you! And Anne says, there's a lot going on, and at the end, it all ties together well. You get to see a human side of Hawkeye being silly, Margaret feeling guilty. I like how Charles and Max are stuck together and then have to work together. I also like how Charles is willing to destroy his shirts to help save a patient. This was Tom Dever. And I don't know if it's Dever or Deaver. I, I think it's Dever. Tom Dever. This was his final of five appearances on MASH. He frequently popped up as an NP and he was probably best known as playing the character Boone in the episode Change Day. So he's one of those actors when you see him, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy. He was in a lot of episodes of MASH. This was his final appearance in the series. OK, go back about a mile, make a right. Continue on until you hit a cluster of huts. Make another right. Keep going until you come to a fork. Bear left around the mountain. On the other side of the mountain, you pick up a main road, take your right into Seoul. Got it? Right. Now, where do we go from here? Bring it out. Got to Come on. Got to make time. Next up is Major Ego. This is where- Oh, I thought you were talking about me. Excuse no, me. No, no. So, so you're talking about the episode. <laughs> no, you're Private okay. Ego, right? Oh, that- <laughs> Private <laughs> Ego Straminsky. Right. Charles, uh, he revives a dying patient with heart massage, and he calls Stars and Stripes so they can write an article about him. Did not get a lot of feedback on this one, except for Eric. 
Eric says, not only do we get Klinger in the Gone with the Wind dress, but we get some awesome acting from David Ogden Stiers. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, that was the first time that we saw Klinger in that dress, I believe. Yeah. That was, yeah, that's the big, uh, the big deal there. And our friend Eric, if you are ever at a Comic-Con or something like that, and you're walking around and you see a kind of a big burly man wearing a beautiful yellow Gone with the Wind dress, that is Eric. Eric loves to go cosplay in that Gone with the Wind dress. So thank you, Eric. He has sent us pictures. They came in a plain brown envelope. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. You you ordered 10 8x10s, though, didn't you? You wanted to put them around your house. Absolutely. Yeah. Baby, It's Cold Outside is the next episode. This is where Charles uh, receives the polar suit from his parents, and the 4077th is using extreme measures to save a group of soldiers suffering from hypothermia, and also Klinger suffer a temporary deafness after a mine explosion. No listener comments on this one. I don't think anybody really uh, picked this one as their favorite episode of season seven. You know, I had a little problem with it. It was confusing as to why that patient continued to be cold. I I kind of couldn't figure that out. He was just sinking cold. And I, how? why couldn't they warm him up, for gosh sake? Put a bunch of blankets on him. Well, they tried. I think they tried. You know, they, they were adding blankets. They, uh, yeah. they, Hawkeye says to run the blood through warm water to try to, you know, see if that would help. I, I think they were right. trying all these. I don't know anything about hypothermia. You know, once you have hypothermia, maybe it's just really almost near impossible to try to get your body's core temperature to get back up. I don't know. Well, maybe. Okay. Well, hypo, I'll, I'll go Google hypothermia. Maybe I'll like this episode more once I understand the truth about hypothermia. Because it didn't make any sense. Well, yeah. And this is the episode I was referring to where they use the coffin to submerge the patient in warm water. Yeah. So once again, why did they need that flipping bathtub? (laughs) All right. Next up is a very popular episode from season seven, Point of View, where we see the 4077th through the eyes of a wounded soldier. Yeah. That's my favorite episode. Uh, Kevin says, I don't think people appreciate how revolutionary point of view had to be back then, especially with big film cameras that typically don't move much. It was a unique storytelling device. I agree with you, Kevin. I do agree with you. It was a unique storytelling device. It just put me to sleep. I don't know why. Suffice to say, this will not be on your list of favorite episodes at the end of this. Uh, not going to be. Okay. It was All irritating, right. and I wanted it to stop. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, everybody. One man's yuck is another man's yum. Yeah, that's right. There were people who cited this episode in the least favorite episodes episode of MASH Matters yep. because they felt it was creepy to see everything through yeah. the patient's eyes. It was clever, and then it stopped being clever for me anyway, just for me, (laughs) and written by wonderfully talented people and directed Mm -hmm. by Charlie Dubin, who I love dearly. Mm -hmm. It just didn't do the thing for me anyway. Kenneth thinks it was pretty good. He says, I love the perspective, and the fact that Private Rich is from Kenneth's hometown made it extra better, he says. Bill says, point of view was incredible the first time I watched it, probably with my dad. I can remember feeling anxious for the wounded soldier from the initial explosion all the way to the 407 where I and the soldier knew we were going to be all right. This episode was incredibly done. I really felt like I was along for the ride. 
Allison says, point of view is groundbreaking in every way. Cinematography, character, crisp writing. In my top three of the whole series, a person who has never seen MASH before would understand it so much after just watching this one episode. And David says, if any of the viewers ever wondered what it would have been like to have been a patient at the 4077th, they'd never get closer than this episode. Private Rich, glad you could make it. Let me introduce you to the rest of the band. On vital signs, Nurse Abel. Working the rest of the instruments, Nurse Campbell, our wandering minstrel, Major Margaret Houlihan, and of course, yours truly, sitting in the conductor's chair. Hello. Why don't we ever have enough orange juice to get us through these endless sessions? Drop it, you ding-dong. Barely cure it. Okay. Colonel Potter. This is definitely not the time to ask him for a raise. Yes, everybody, I agree. And yes, we learned a lot about the characters. And yes, I agree that if you'd never seen the show and you watched that one, you could go, oh, okay, this is where we are. And these are who are the people. And this is what are the environment I'm in. Okay, I get it. Well, pretty darn clever. But I just didn't like it. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. And that's fine. That's your opinion. Yeah. Most of the people who are listening right now think you're wrong. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's your opinion. <laughs> This episode has the most and longest sequence shots and the fewest scene cuts of the entire series. Yeah. When Rich is using the notepad to write a letter home, he starts with the date 9-12-51, and then Potter comes and talks to him. That's interesting because Potter didn't arrive until September of 1952. Mm. Several times this season, there are inconsistencies with the date. Well, that's the other reason I didn't like it. <laughs> In a post on Ken Levine's blog, he was one of the writers of this episode. He revealed that ceilings had to be built onto several set pieces. If you're laying in a cot and looking up, you're going to see a ceiling. And I guess, Jeff, because of the lights and everything, most of the interior sets didn't have ceilings, correct? There weren't any ceilings. No, there were just a bunch of lights up there. So they had to build on some ceilings to some of the set pieces for this episode. And they made me build them on there. So maybe that's why I didn't <laughs> That's like it. it. Now the truth comes a out. A lot of work to build a ceiling. Next up is Dear Comrade. Life in the 4077th chronicled by a North Korean spy who has been employed as Charles Houseboy. Dear comrade, as instructed by the intelligence section of the People's Army, I have begun a careful surveillance of the 4077th match. I will remain here until I learn the methods they use to achieve their remarkable record of success. I have established myself with an ideal couple. You're more than kind. I'm playing a grinning lackey to a capitalist fool. Rachel says, I really like the episodes that teach me something about the place or time, like hemorrhagic fever or the effects of primaquin. The allergy in the episode is interesting, as is the cure. And even though the North Korean spy aspect of it seems a little bit unbelievable, I like the character and the storytelling is entertaining. The character, Quang, played by actor uh, Saab Shimano, who would actually return to the series in season eight for the episode Backpay. He is an actor who you've seen in a lot of different things. I remember him very well from the movie Gung Ho with Michael Keaton. He's, he's one of those actors who's done a lot of work, but this was actually one of his first acting jobs. What the hell is this? A great hood ornament. Where's the Jeep? You're looking at it. He just drove away in the howitzer. Pierce, get rid of that thing. We're a non-combat unit, and we're going to stay that way. Somebody will see this, and we'll draw enemy fire. Well, Dobbin, looks like nobody loves you, including me. We'll have to take you out to the field and shoot you. God, you! But why don't I just leave it here and build a town square around it? 
Out! The plot line with the howitzer seems a bit far-fetched to me, that the doctors would be responsible for getting rid of it, that pouring cement in it and making the gun inoperable still would not solve the issue of it drawing fire. And Potter saying, hey, that's going to draw enemy fire. But in season four, the camp comes under fire. And the first thing that Potter suggests is to bring a tank and park it in the middle of the camp to (laughs) scare everybody away. Mm -hmm. This is the only letter episode that isn't written and narrated by one of the main cast members. And something that I kept seeing pop up in a lot of the episodes for this season, Loretta Switt's fingernails. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. They (laughs) appear to be about an inch long. Whoa. And you would think (laughs) a head nurse in Korea near the front would probably not have had fingernails that long. (laughs) She had to protect herself against something, I suppose. I guess so. I guess so. You know, the only thing that bothered me a little bit is the fact that the Korean spy ends up being a real pal and goes back in the bar to sit with everybody and have drinks. Yeah. And he was kind of, all of a sudden, he was like, you know, part of the MASH 4077. And, you know, had he made the decision to do that, he would probably have been killed by his, <laughs> his, his uh, North Korean units. I mean, that's probably not something that would have taken place, but I don't know. That explains why the character didn't return. It's probably, yeah. He was executed. He was executed by North Korea. Next episode, Out of Gas. Heavy casualties exhaust the unit's supply of pentothal. So Charles and uh, Father Mulcahy, they go and meet with black marketeers, and Charles loses his polar suit. (laughs) Stephanie says, the classic what-do-we-do situation and adjusting on the fly. Some really funny moments mixed with the feelings of despair and futility of facing a deluge of patience without the proper supplies. The opening poker scene, especially the extended cut, always makes me smile. Come on, Toots, your bet. Okay, caution to the wind. One wool sock. Uh-uh. Pair of socks are better to open. Who up the Annie? Me. I was inspired by the Old Testament. As the Lord said to Noah, everything in pairs. Of the Lord was holding three aces at the time. All right, enough of this foreplay. Earmuffs. So the scene where Winchester and Father Mulcahy are fleeing from the black market gang, David Ogden Stiers, while the truck is moving, is hanging out the side door. Yes. While the black marketeers are firing guns at him. Yes. And that thing is just bobbing up and down because it's going through terrain and he does not appear to be secured to anything. It's just him in his long underwear hanging out the side of that door. Yeah. How he was able to do that without falling out and seriously injuring himself is one thing. But why would Charles be hanging out of the truck while people are shooting at him? I agree. Yeah, that the fact that when he was hanging on that door and hanging out, it looked like a cartoon almost. Uh, he's like, How is he doing that? Wait a minute. Don't you going to get a stunt man to do this? Yeah. There he was doing David August Stiers hanging out that door. That was amazing. It was. The thing that made me laugh, it was kind of funny when they went, they first met the uh, black market guys and they drive up and they say, I don't remember the dialogue, but the black market guys were really good because they were just mean, <laughs> terrible, yeah. nasty people. Like, I don't. I don't care. Yeah. Hooch. They made me laugh. Yeah. 
<laughs> then they start shooting at them. I don't know. I thought they were pretty good, those guys. Good stuff. Little things entertain me. A lot of good Charles moments in this entire season, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Next episode in season seven, An Eye for a Tooth. This is where uh, Father Mulcahy is passed over for a promotion. Then we meet Captain Toby Hill, the heroic helicopter pilot. Also, Charles orchestrating an epic prank battle between Margaret Hawkeye and BJ. Adam says, there is quite a few to choose from, and I keep flip-flopping between An Eye for a Tooth, Point of View, and Our Finest Hour. However, because of the practical jokes with Charles at first being a mastermind and then getting his comeuppance, and Mulcahy he's act of heroism an eye for a tooth is my pick travis says love the practical jokes as winchester is playing everyone against each other and father mulcahy he has a chance to shine in a time of need just one i can't go without a counterweight where am i supposed to find one piece the size and weight of a man and right now well how about me i appreciate the gesture father but hill 503 is where the real war is going on planning in that traffic is pretty unnerving captain we're wasting time every second's another drop of blood now, I'm going. How about you? I guess I am. First mission I've flown without you, little Mac. Wish me luck. Don't worry, Captain. What could be luckier than carrying a priest? And then there's Aaron. <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> our friend Aaron Gilson, who is a, one of our VIP uh, majors on Patreon, uh, mashmatters.com slash support. Yeah. But I think this is important because there's a lot of great stuff here. And there are some interesting facts that he brings out about the episode. So why don't we just take these one at a time here, Jeff, and we can just kind of go back and forth, okay? All right. Aaron says, there are many personal reasons why I hold this episode close to my heart. First, I'm impressed by the creativity of the title. Second, this is the first episode focusing on Father Mulcahy's strike for a promotion, which was later resolved in MASH season eight episode, Captain's Outrageous. I love when episodes are interconnected. Third, Peter Palmer portrays the frequently promoted chopper pilot, Captain Toby Hill, and he also played the titular character in the Broadway musical Lil Abner, based on the newspaper comic strip that is Colonel Potter's favorite. That would be especially in the season 10 episode communication breakdown. My only high school musical experience was a lead role in Little Abner, and I became very familiar with Mr. Palmer's lustrous voice. And I, too, Jeff, my first high school musical was Little Abner. Oh. I, I did not play Abner, but I, too, was uh, very familiar with Mr. Palmer's work in that musical and the film version of that musical. Cool. Fourth, this is a practical joke-centric episode that presents Charles at his most gleefully Machiavellian. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, I wish you could have taken the walk I've just taken, seen the sights that I have just seen. Bird here, the flower there, pieces of dummy everywhere. <laughs> You're a real nature lover, you are. Has Margaret's hair come down yet? <laughs> you should have seen it last night when I popped in on her. Her eyes were spinning around like phonograph records. <laughs> I haven't had so much fun since the- <laughs> Since you chauffeur ran over the squirrel? <laughs> Fifth, the central practical joke is based in part on a real-life incident with the MASH cast involving Richard Attenborough and frozen yogurt, which Mike Farrell impishly describes during a Clear and Vivid podcast episode from February 4th, 2019. And I believe he told that story on our podcast, too, back when he made his first appearance. I think he did. Yeah. Sixth. The episode was originally aired on the same day and month as my wife's birthday. Couldn't be a coincidence, right? And Aaron says, lucky number seven, it's the first episode that I viewed during its original airing, which ignited a lifelong passion. He said, the only thing that could have elevated this episode for me is if Igor had been the one to present Margaret with the lemon meringue pie. 
You know, Aaron, you are such a wonderfully intelligent human being. I, <laughs> I can't begin to tell you. You really know what's going on in the world and what is correct. My only beef with this episode is the little Mac dummy. Captain Hill says he needs it as a counterweight. Well, first of all, there have been many episodes in the past where choppers were only carrying one patient. Also, if he is indeed supposed to be a counterweight, wouldn't you say Lil Mac should weigh about the weight of a grown man? If you look at how he's handled through the episode, he probably only weighs about 10 pounds. Right. Yep. Yep. That's a major plot point, which is what leads to Father Mulcahy having to go to the front. So I understand the importance of it, but it just didn't make sense. I kind of got lost with the pilot. The pilot sort of just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And I thought, we didn't wrap him up really well. I don't think they wrapped him up very well. Anyway. It's hard to wrap up a pilot. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You ever tried to wrap one? It's almost impossible. Oh, it's hard. The next episode, Father Mulcahy writes a pre-Christmas letter home to his sister in the episode, Dear Sis. We had a lot of feedback on this episode. Seth says, in the early 80s, my dad started taping MASH episodes and Dear Sis was one of the first one he taped. So always has a special place in my heart. But as far as I'm concerned, it is one of the best Christmas TV episodes of any show. Reese says, Dear Sis is a standout from the entire series. I love the line at the end. The trick is to just keep going. The turnaround of Charles' character when he gets his toboggan cap. The whole episode, season seven, was full of great episodes. And Laura says, Dear Sis is one of my all-time favorites. The loneliness during Christmas is palpable and Father Mulcahy's desire to feel useful, especially since his Christmas is just heartbreaking. What a punch the Padre can muster. But the ending with Father Mulcahy's suggestion of writing to Winchester's family to send him something that will remind him of home and to see Winchester melt when he opens the package makes me love this show more every time I see it. They just don't write like this anymore, and it's episodes like this that makes M.A.S.H. my favorite show and a comfort in the world we now live in. And Larry sums it up by saying, beautiful, timeless, and always moving. Father... Is there still time to uh, contribute to your orphanage fund? Always. Good. Yeah. Buy them whatever they need. Here. Buy them whatever they don't need. Major? Are you all right? (laughs) You saved me, Father. You lowered a bucket into the well of my despair, and you raised me up to the light of day. I thank you for that. How'd I do that? <laughs> oh, yes. It's lovely. BJ Papasan, the next episode in season seven. This is when BJ becomes a surrogate father to a Korean family seeking medical assistance for their father. It's incredible the way they live, Hawk. They have nothing, absolutely nothing. I figure somebody has to do something. Let me guess, you? <laughs> I'll stop by there every couple of days with whatever I can pick up. Is there anything left? <sighs> you should see those kids together. Kim and her little brother? God, they're sweet. Hey, Beach, you know, there's a lot of sadness in these people's lives. It comes with the territory. No matter what you do, you're not going to be able to change it all by yourself. I know. Yeah, yeah, good. The beef I have with this episode is about the bees. The bee stuff is a little overboard. How the heck does Radar recognize a bee? <laughs> What's that? A bee? What? Shoot, hey, shoot. Oh, what, what, what are you doing now? What? Don't hit him, it's Blitzen, it's Blitzen. Oh, oh, Blitzen! 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 
not going to hurt you. Hey, what are you doing? Hey! Hey, get out of here, you lousy thief! Hey, get him out of here! Oh, oh! I bet! I bet! They always go for the officers first. Listen, where are you? Speak to me! You're starting to swell. Are you allergic? I don't know. I've never been stung before. Oh, Lord, I'm hit. Well, back into the shop. Oh, gee. Oh, gee, what a way to go. I just can't get past that. This is also the second of three episodes with our guest star, Dick O'Neill, who uh, previously played Admiral Cox in 38 Across, and then he also returned as Colonel Pitts in Sons and Bowlers. And Dick O'Neill was a really nice guy. I was in a pilot with Dick O'Neill. Oh, yeah? And a uh, really good pilot. Uh, didn't sell. Oh, well, that's showbiz. But really enjoyed working with him. He was a nice guy. Next up is Inga. This is where Hawkeye falls for a Swedish doctor until she outshines him in the OR. Inga, played by Mariette Hartley. How do you do, doctor? I'm Hawkeye Pierce, the local chief surgeon. Hello, I'm Inga Halverson. <laughs> You're laughing at my accent? No, 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 that's not laughing. That's delight. If I may say so, doctor, your voice is the soundtrack of my dreams. Please, call me Inga. <laughs> your uh, your uh, room is uh, right down the hall here, Inga. <laughs> Lisa says, I know quite a few MASH fans dislike this episode, but my favorite from season seven is Inga. Marriott Hartley was wonderful as the visiting Swedish female doctor, and I really liked the way she squashed Hawkeye and Charles' male ego with her medical skills, and the interaction with Klinger was nothing short of hilarious. Michael says, Alda takes a sharp scalpel to Hawkeye's ego and smug chauvinism and is not afraid to put his beloved character in his place. Deb says it perfectly illustrates the bias against a female doctor and makes Hawkeye see it in himself. Inka would have been a great love interest for Hawkeye, given enough time. Great performance by all the main characters, especially Marriott Hartley. And Rick says Inga couldn't have been written any better if it was written now. It was literally 40 years ahead of its time. Mm. And fun fact, Marriott Hartley was not really Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> and she wasn't a doctor. How about that? <laughs> Boy. Alan Alda did win an Emmy Award for writing this episode. Mm -hmm. Marriott Hartley. Let's talk about her for just a second. She's one of those actresses who has done a lot of work. But when I sat down and started thinking, where did I remember her the most? Mm -hmm. And for me... It was these Polaroid commercials that she did <laughs> with James Garner. Yes. <laughs> you remember those? I do. I do. This is Polaroid's new Time Zero One Step. Pretty. Why is it black? Oh, so you'll know it's the Time Zero One Step. And here's the world's fastest developing color. You see it in seconds now, not minutes. Look at that color. But why a Time Zero One Step? It comes with a pack of Time Zero Super Color Film and this made-for-each-other pack. Certainly are made for each other. Just like coffee and cream. Rolls and Royce. Or me and you. Try ham and cheese. I did a little bit of a deep dive on those commercials. Those were so popular and they had such great chemistry that many people thought that they were married in real life. And in 1990, Marianne Hartley wrote a biography called Breaking the Silence. And she says that she used to wear a T-shirt that said, I am not Mrs. James Garner. <laughs> she also made a shirt for her infant son that said, I am not James Garner's child. And one for her husband at the time who said, I am not James Garner. <laughs> James Garner's actual wife also had a T-shirt printed that says, I am Mrs. James Garner. <laughs> Wow. I sold a lot of t-shirts for that uh, little <laughs> tape. 
Didn't she have a talk show for a while? Wasn't she part of a talk I'm show? I'm wanting to say she did. Was she a part of Real People? No, that was Sarah Purcell. Uh, Sarah Purcell. That wasn't Mary Hardwick. Yeah. Again, she's one of those actresses who has done so much. She was a lot of guest stars. She did a lot of movies of the week. She did you know, a lot of work. Yeah. She was in The Incredible Hulk. But beyond that, she didn't have like one iconic role you know, that everybody associates her with, except for, in my opinion, the Polaroid commercial. <laughs> well... Probably made her a lot of money. Yeah, probably did. <laughs> commercials. Because those t-shirts are yeah. expensive, you know. They are very expensive. Yeah. Next up in season seven, the episode, The Price. This is where Colonel Potter's horse, Sophie, mysteriously disappears from the corral and Hawkeye and BJ try to help a young Korean draft dodger. John says, I find The Price to be very moving in a way a lot of later MASH episodes tried to be, but missed the mark a bit. The line from Sun Pak about her father's final moments being happy because of Colonel Potter's generosity gets me every time. And Ham leaving to join the Korean army after seeing Mr. Pak is layered with commentary about how the young can romanticize military service and how it's easy to celebrate heroes and hard to remember the young men who never got a chance to be heroes because they were unceremoniously killed in battle. It's one of MASH's best and subtlest anti-war episodes. All right, I give up. What are you doing? If you're eloping, you forgot the girl. I'm going to be with my friends where I belong. With your friends? In the army. What brought this on? Cho Pak was brave soldier. Saved my people a long time ago. Ham, wait a minute. You don't owe anybody anything. He wasn't afraid. He did not run away and leave his friends to fight. I was wrong to run. Oh, no, 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 no. You're 16 years old. You got a right to grow up before they take you away. Let's go now. Ham, you've lived right in the middle of this war. You know what it's like out there. Wait, hey, wait a minute. Damn it. Look, let's call the MPs. They'll arrest him for trespassing, jaywalking, anything. Maybe they can detain him here. Look, he's gone. Next up, the young and the restless. A young surgeon from uh, Tokyo comes in and makes the doctors of the 4077 feel out of touch with new medical practices. Captain, even a veterinarian knows that that procedure increases the likelihood of ventricular fibrillation. Right. That's why you administer intravenous procaine or pronesto. Give it a whirl sometime, doctor. You give it a whirl, sonny. Getting all this, Pierce? Sure. Give it a whirl sometime, doctor. You give it a whirl, sonny. Just checking. Chris says the young and the restless is one of the funniest. Poor Charles, outmatched by a twerp surgeon. All of the information I found about this episode is uh, in regards to Klinger. He decides to change his Section 8 ploy from cross-dressing to something else. And in this one, he is pretending that he is back home in Toledo. So you have him, you know, selling aluminum siding. And if you look at that scene, you'll notice that the samples that he's holding in his hand change between full shots and close-ups. Also, when uh, Potter is playing along and is filling out Klinger's Section 8 paperwork, he asks Klinger for his mother's maiden name, and he replies, Abodili, which indeed is Jamie Farr's mother's real maiden name. Okay, let's get to it. I just want to check the facts before I send your paperwork on to HQ. I don't understand what you're talking about, but you're the foreman. Okay, name, Max Klinger. Right, that's with one X. Got it. Place of birth. Toledo, Ohio. Fine. Mother's maiden name. Abodili, that's with two E's. Social security number. 556-782613. Rank? Corporal. Aha! Gotcha, soldier. And then at one point, Klinger is wearing a t-shirt that says, Toledo, gateway to Zanesville. Jeff, do we need to offer a Toledo Gateway to Zanesville t-shirt in our merch store? 
Uh, why not? What the heck? I looked and I can't find one. Yeah. Maybe we need to make one and, and put it on there. Listeners, what do you think? Should we do that? Raise your hands, everybody. One, two, three. Four. All right. The motion carries. All right. We'll look into it. All right. Next up, Hot Lips is back in town. This is with Lieutenant Linda Nugent. Radar is smitten with her. And also, uh, Margaret celebrates her just granted divorce. I'm divorced. Huh? It's official. This is my final divorce decree. I'm officially divorced. Congratulations, Margaret. Or condolences, whichever the case may be. Margaret's what you wanted, isn't it? Margaret? Yes, yes. Been waiting for months. Uh-oh. Choppers. Voted. All right, people. I gave you the halftime pep talk. Now go get them. Sorry to spoil the celebration, ma'am. Marie says, I love how it captures Margaret as a character, from being heartbroken but unable to admit her pain over her divorce, to getting tipsy and getting a whole new outlook on life, to inconveniencing absolutely everyone to have things her way, to realizing she has come too far to basically prostitute herself to get a promotion. I adore it. Here's to you, Margaret. Here's to you indeed. Kurt says, I've always had a soft spot for Hot Lips is back in town. I've always loved the dual toast at the end of the episode. Hawkeye's toast to Radar across the officer's club and Margaret's to herself for standing her ground. Proudly toasting, here's to me. Both toasts are sweet, perfect little victories for Radar and Margaret for staying true to who they are. I'm a head nurse and a damn good one. What do you think that demonstration out there was all about anyway? At ease, Major. You know how the game is played. You rub my back and I'll rub yours. I'll rub my own back, thank you. How dare you assume such a thing? Oh, come on, Margaret. I know you better than that. You have the talent, I have the clout. Now let's get together and have a few laughs. You haven't been listening to me, General. I'm not a pushover anymore. Get yourself another clay pigeon. You're gonna hate yourself in the morning. Get out of my tent, General. Are you sure? Out! And that's an order. Okay. Major. Here's to me. And hey, girly <laughs> on Instagram <laughs> says, my favorite female guest is Nurse Nugent, Peggy Lee Brennan. She is so sweet in her demeanor. I'm glad you could have her on the podcast. She would have been great as a regular. I'm tired of trying, so I want to get one thing straight. Do you want to go out with me or not? Yes. Fine, then we'll just forget it. If I'm not good enough for you, you do? I said yes. You did? Yes. Well, how come you didn't say so before? You never asked before. Oh, yeah. I guess I was always too busy thinking up stuff to say, you know, to impress you. Radar, you don't have to impress me. I think you're nice when you're unimpressive. Gee, thanks. Wow. That's about the swellest thing anybody ever said to me. And if you would like to listen to our interview with Peggy Lee Brennan, you can go back and listen to episode 12. We'll put a link in the show notes to that episode. I find it interesting that this particular episode is called Hot Lips is Back in Town, but nobody calls Margaret Hot Lips at this point in the series. Correct. Yes. It's been quite a while, actually, since anyone has referred to Margaret as Hot Lips. So why exactly they decided to bring that nickname back for the title of this episode? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I don't know. They, I uh, mean, the writers came up with that title and said, here's the title, Hot Lips is Back in Town. I'm surprised uh, just a little bit that uh, Loretta might, uh, should have perhaps uh, objected to it, but- 
you didn't, and uh, there it is. It's never said in the episode. It's just the title of the episode. Yeah, and most people don't see the title of the episode anyway. Right. So, okay, track with me on this. Hawkeye and BJ interrupt the triage training class. Hawkeye is dressed as the general, okay? He keeps referring to BJ as Cato. Now, the actor who played the real general in this episode is Walter Brook. Walter Brook plays D.A. Frank Scallion in the 60s series, The Green Hornet, mm. where one of the main characters was Cato. Whoa, ladies and gentlemen, look at that. Thank Holy you. moly. You may have needed a roadmap to follow that, but we got through it. Well, that's amazing. What a dink. Next up is Cave. The 4077th has to bug out to a nearby cave, and Hawkeye suddenly has claustrophobia. You don't feel it, do you? Pulse rattling, skin clammy. I don't know who's whiter, him or me. Excuse me. Robin says, I like Cave. Seeing a superhero, Hawkeye, be afraid of something I am afraid of was really validating. Carrie says, Cave is a great episode. I liked watching Hawkeye and Margaret figure out their friendship after Comrades in Arms, and this episode spotlights their deepening bond. And Penterpole on Instagram says, I like Cave as it has a lot of humor, but I also like Hawkeye's moments of vulnerability. People have criticized Margaret's sudden phobia of loud noises for being inconsistent, but actually it's consistent to her reaction in Comrades in Arms. With you, it's closed in places. With me, it's loud noises. I've always been oversensitive to them. Trains, a car backfiring, shell fire. I hate shell fire. So naturally, you join the army. To be a nurse. Every time a shell goes off, I have to practically nail my feet to the floor to keep myself from running away. Also, suddenly, Hawkeye is claustrophobic. Says he has been since he was a child, but in the pilot episode, he hides in a trunk, and in the episode Dear Peggy, he's squeezed into a Jeep with about 30 other people. So, not really buying it, Hawkeye. Yeah. My only question is, was the cave a good idea? Because it seems to me that a direct hit on a cave could have caused some significant damage. Maybe the cave, you know, collapsing or possibly the entrance of the cave collapsing and trapping everybody inside. It just doesn't seem like a cave is the best idea. Yeah, I I don't run into them when things are shooting around me. I don't go in. <laughs> I never have. I'm not gonna ever. Next up, rally around the flag, boys. Here we go. Colonel Flag pops up at the 4077th. He is convinced that Hawkeye is a communist sympathizer, and he enlists Charles to help him find the facts. Peter says, I like rally around the flag, boys. Maybe Flag's weakest episode, but I liked seeing him interact with Winchester, especially the bit where Winchester had to explain the map to him. It's a diagram of a camp. Looks like this camp. Looks like this camp. Well, there's a circle around my quarters. Pierce's quarters. Ah, so, a little rendezvous. What's this at the bottom? A circle with two arrows in it. A clock. A clock. Ten o'clock. Ten o'clock. Yes, I think I can fit that into my schedule. D says, I thought it gave some more thought-provoking lines about the absurdity of war and the conflict. I loved it when Radar stood up to flag when he withheld the blood IV from the soldier. Both sides do horrible things to achieve very little except heartbreak. Russell says, MASH in its later seasons went away from the comedy that was epitomized by characters like Colonel Flagg to the show's overall detriment, in my opinion. 
Mash used to be able to skirt the line between drama and comedy, but in its later seasons, it seemed to be wholly in either one camp or the other. Excuse the pun. This is one of the last really funny episodes and definitely a highlight of this season. And Bill says, Charles plays Colonel Flagg like a French horn. (laughs) But Bill, Charles doesn't play the French horn well. So are you saying that Charles plays Colonel Flagg poorly? Mm. This is the final appearance of Colonel Flagg. Mm. Actually, we do see him return in a season two episode of Aftermash. And it's the only episode where we see David Ogden Stiers and Edward Winter together. Mm. And that's a real shame because I thought they were fantastic together. They were. Edward Winter's Colonel Flagg was just truly, truly a gift. It was really, really fun. I used to stand there and watch him shoot those scenes. And uh, you could barely hold your laughter down. You know, you didn't want to interrupt the scene, start laughing. But boy, was it funny. Let's talk about your camp, Potter. Don't play dumb. You're not as good at it as I am. What is it this time, Flag? Fluoride in the soup? I think I'd better leave. Freeze, Mr. Vatican. Nobody goes till I do, and I never do. Potter, you've got a wounded North Korean officer here, and as usual, you failed to report it. Oh, no, no, we did report it. You mean I worked over my informant just for the fun of it? Oh, my Lord. Good cover, but who are you? Never mind, I'll get to you in a minute. You, get out. Thank you, sir. I understand your Captain Pierce saved that pinko's miserable skin. Not to mention his life. And that was his big mistake. Now, I want to question both of them. Flag, you don't go near anyone without my permission. What's this? Your permission? Right. I'll be around. So will you. All right, next up, preventative medicine. This, of course, is where all the wounded soldiers come in, and it's because of that Colonel Lacey. So Hawkeye and BJ, well, Hawkeye does something to take care of business with Colonel Lacey. Oh, oh boy, that's smart. Your stomach again? Yeah. Hmm. Let me see. Where does that hurt? Uh, here? Oh. There. Oh, boy. Bad case of gastritis. Probably lay you up a couple days. Have you ever had your appendix out? No. Appendix? Yeah, acute appendicitis. That could keep you out for a week or two. Two weeks? Oh, don't take me off the line. I'll lose my battalion. Definitely your appendix. Just a shrews from Twitter or X <laughs> says, I've always liked preventative medicine because it forces Hawkeye to make the correct medical decision or the correct moral decision. So? It was pink and perfect, and I tossed it in the scrap bucket. At least he won't be sending us any customers for a while. Uh-huh. Radar was just in here. In about ten minutes, they're sending us a batch of wounded. Ten minutes? Attention, attention, all personnel. Time flies. Sorry, folks. Triage in the compound. Looks kind of heavy. You treated a symptom. The disease goes merrily on. We just recently discussed this episode at length with Mr. Mike Farrell and Mark Freeman, so we won't go into this too much. Yeah. This episode, of course, based on real life experience and the feud between Hawkeye and BJ, also based on the real life experience. The only thing I wanted to mention at the end of the episode, Hawkeye comes back to the swamp. BJ says that Radar just came in and told him that a batch of wounded would be coming in about 10 minutes. And then he proceeds to gulp an entire martini. (laughs) Just saying, maybe don't gulp the martini before you go off to do surgery. Well, I don't know. You know, some things can help you do those things. It's not easy to open somebody up and pull out their appendix, you know. That's true. A little shot in my ass and get things moving. (laughs) 
Next up is a very popular episode, speaking of alcohol, A Night at Rosie's, where mm. the entire 4077 finds a way to escape the atmosphere of the war by uh, taking refuge at Rosie's Bar. Why don't we form our own country? Yeah, right. There. You see what you did, Uncle Sam? We seceded from the Union. Hey. Wait a minute. Don't we got to give our country a name? Otherwise, how can school kids ever study about us? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right, a name. All right, okay, I got it. I got it. How's this? Canada. What? I think that's being used. All right, well, then let's name it after, after the founder, Rosie. How's this? Rosie Land. Rosie Land is the name of a ballroom, not a country. If you let me call it Rosie Land, I'll be Laverne. Rosie Land is perfect. Rich says so many choices, but a night at Rosie's, having the subplots all revolve around Rosie's provides a change of pace for the show. And it features one of my all-time favorite Hawkeye quotes related to beer on Rice Krispies, the breakfast of ex-champions, snap, crackle, and burp. Ron says a night at Rosie's is pure comedy poetry. It flows with the rhythm of a stage play. I once got the chance to ask Ken Levine about the episode. He said that he and David Isaacs wrote it over the course of a weekend. Anytime I get the chance to show someone not familiar with MASH, the series at its comedic best, A Night at Rosie's is on that watch list. And Just in Time from Twitter says, A Night at Rosie's might be the most wall-banging, rambunctious episode in the entire run of MASH. It slowly builds a hilarious, out-of-control momentum that culminated in the bar fight. Plus, it has this line. In between dances, they come over here and they sit on me. <laughs> and our friend Bob Borgen, husband to our friend Eileen Saki, says, no surprise here, a night at Rosie's. Yeah. Hey, what's this? Oh, that's what happened to that deadbeat. I thought he just skipped out without pain. He's a sponge. Sir, you Okay. $30, liquor and two days rent. Cough it up. Don't tempt him. This is the first appearance of Eileen as Rosie. She was the third actress to play Rosie, and she would be the longest running Rosie of all the Rosies for the remainder of the series. We also see Richard Lee Sung return. We see Key Luke return. And we meet Jack Scully for the first time, played by Josh Bryant. It's so refreshing to meet a man like you. Oh, really? Yes. The only ones I get to meet lately are general officers, real softies who hang their big pot bellies over the dinner table and spout war as hell. <laughs> How do I get a job like that? <laughs> There's a real strength about you. I don't mean just the broad shoulders. It's a real force that's almost overpowering. You're crushing my hand. Oh, I'm sorry. In the complete book of MASH, Josh Bryant recalls that between takes, David Ogden Stiers would ride around the soundstage on a unicycle. <laughs> Do you remember him riding a unicycle? Uh, I do. Yeah, he could ride a unicycle, yes. Wow. I remember him mostly coming into the stage on a skateboard. Yeah. He would uh, use that quite a bit. But yeah, he could <laughs> He could do that. Very talented fellow. My only beef with this episode is how in the heck can the entire camp and medical team all be at Rosie's? Who was there taking care of wounded? <laughs> Everybody was yeah. at Rosie's. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that uh, goes to the same issue of the uh, everybody taking a martini before surgery <laughs> right yeah. or dying their hair red dying their hair red yeah next up ain't love grand directed by mike farrell his first directorial credit this is where both charles and klinger develop a romantic liaison at rosie's bar i couldn't help but notice something you're wearing a dress i made it why shouldn't i wear it oh, oh you are really a guest 
Corporal Max Klinger, Section 8, First Class. Lieutenant Deborah Clark, 8063rd MASH. Call me Debbie. Debbie? That's a very exotic handle. Hey, how'd you like me to take you to Paris? Really? Sure. I'll just ask the Colonel for a six-month pass. No, don't laugh. It'll be the most reasonable request ever made. You know, this may be kind of sudden, you being in women's clothes and all, but I think I'm in love. Hey, where do you get to know me? The character of Sunni, well, TV standards at the time, standards and practices, they wouldn't allow the word prostitute to be said. So she is referred to as a working girl, a lady of the evening, and a camp follower. Yeah. I don't know. This is kind of an odd episode. It, it feels out of character for Winchester to fall for a working girl. Want to buy me a burger? Beg pardon? I usually ask for a drink, but I'm starved. Oh, oh I see. I buy you a burger, then we dance, then we drink, and we go over to your modest little place for a nightcap. Well, we can skip the dancing, but I can sure use the burger. Sorry, Miss, uh, uh, Wimpy, but I'm not in need of someone like, well, that is to say, I'm not looking for thanks, but no. Now, there are some shades of My Fair Lady, based on the play Pygmalion. Henry Higgins is trying to make Eliza Doolittle more cultured. By the way, that movie, My Fair Lady, starred Audrey Hepburn, and Charles claims to have had a date with Audrey Hepburn in season six episode, Major Topper. Hmm. Another tie there. But yeah, Mike Farrell's first episode where he directed, and I have a personal connection here I want to mention. Bob Borgen, Eileen Saki's husband. He was very nice to reach out and say, hey, I have something of Eileen's I'd like to send you. And he sent me a framed photo that she had on the wall. It's a black and white photo of Mike Farrell directing her on the set of this episode. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice. I was very touched that he sent that to me. Yeah. And I also I took a picture of it and I sent it to Mike Farrell and said, I don't know if you've ever seen this photo. Mike's in regular clothes. Eileen is in her rosy garb. And he said, no, I have not seen that photo ever. So maybe I'll take a picture of it and put it in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, that's great. That brings us to the last episode of season seven. Here we are. Maybe we should throw a party, Jeff. You know, the party. Ah. Jay organizes the present day stateside gathering slash reunion of all the 4077 families. I could just see all of us 10 years from now sitting at a reunion. Yeah, the war's been over for a month. We've all got gray hair. Charles has his in a box. Wait a minute. Why wait 10 years? Why not avoid the rush and have a reunion now? I realize I'm tired, but why do we need a reunion if we're all sitting in the same room together? No, 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 not us. Our families. We get them together from all over the states. Oh, this is great. They come to New York or someplace and they have this big dinner and we get... This is terrific! A lot of comments. Chad starts off by saying, Season 7 was a rough one, but I really liked the party. But once you see the same windshield smudge on every truck, you can't unsee it. There's the scene where they're going back and forth with everybody reading their letters in the cab of the Jeeps and the trucks, and it's obviously the same truck. (laughs) (laughs) There are smudges and defects, and they all match. So it's obviously the exact same truck. They just didn't do anything to make it look a little bit different. 
Amanda says, I love how excited all of the family members were about getting together as a way to support the people they were missing and each other. And the part with Klinger's mother is just so touching. I guess the most touching moment was when I saw Mrs. Klinger looking at the picture of all of you under the Fort Dick sign. There were tears in her eyes when she told me through her brother Abdul that you didn't have to bother. She'd known all along that her son was really in Korea, but she wouldn't let on because she didn't want him to worry about her. So you'd better not tell Klinger. Ooh, gee, I'm sorry. I guess I shouldn't have read that part. That's okay, kid. Boy, I could never fool her on anything. Hey, Klinger. Yes? Welcome to Korea. And Teresa says, I love the idea of Peg Honeycutt writing to Mrs. Potter and Mrs. O'Reilly and the party itself. Inspired idea and so much fun to imagine the characters' families getting together. Brilliant. Joshua says, this episode had heart and fun, and after season seven of MASH really made you feel a part of the MASH family. We hear about everyone at home, but not like this. In my opinion, this episode gives us a look at the different side of each character. Hawkeye and the passion he shared with his dad, Winchester, and how he views himself and his parents. Less Major Houlihan and more Margaret, as we see what her parents mean to her, especially her mom, since she didn't really talk about her much. Radar and his mom are always cute. A much more real look at Klinger's family, that Mrs. Potter is just as fun as the Colonel, how big a family Father Mulcahy and his love for his sister, BJ, and how all these people meant so much, truly his second family. The funniest scenes in the episode is when they are trying to hammer down a date, all of the families having such conflicts, some of them just being funny. Though hearing Winchester say, I dear, is a great laugh. Dear Walter, (laughs) your Uncle Ed and me were real excited about the get-together. We love the whole idea. The only thing missing was hearing Igor's family. Why weren't his parents invited? Uh, was there a bonus episode I missed where the B-Cast had their own reunion and talked about it? Ha ha ha. Thank you, Joshua. We'll talk about that in a moment. Wait a minute. I have to send $10 to Joshua. Hold on just one second. <laughs> Raymond says, I always thought the parties a prelude to a potential spinoff series exploring the interactions of the family members. Peg and Aaron meeting Radar could have been an episode. The reunion of the Houlihans, another. Klinger's family multiple episodes could go on all night. And Becca said the party is one of my favorite MASH episodes, period. I discovered MASH during a very difficult time in my life, and this episode was a beautiful picture of how people could just have so much warmth and heart, despite being surrounded by the chaos and hatred that comes with war. There are so many episodes that convey that sentiment, but this is my favorite one. Yeah, a lot of love for this episode. Here's my beef. Go ahead. The whole Klinger plot line with his mother thinking that he is at Fort Dix instead of being in Korea, even though in season four in the interview, Klinger says hi to his mom on TV. So they all say, okay, we'll take a picture in front of this welcome to Fort Dix sign. Where did the Fort Dix sign come from? Yeah. I don't get it. The art department. I think (laughs) it was probably the art department. The art director dragged it in, set it up. The Pierre Hotel is an actual hotel. It opened in 1930. And this episode features one of my favorite Charles lines. All we have to do now is set a date. Most appropriate one I can think of is Valentine's Day, February 14th. Valentine's Day, delightful. They can all meet in a garage in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Joshua, he asked, why didn't Igor's family come? What about the relatives of the other MASH personnel? Were they invited to attend this party? If so, who from Igor's family came to New York City? I don't know. Was it his wife or his girlfriend? Or did his wife and girlfriend both come? What Didn't one of them work in a slaughterhouse or something? Yeah, short from the stun line, right? Stun line, right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, his girlfriend worked on the stun line. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, they should have thought a lot of Igor, didn't they? Well, let's give my girlfriend works on a stun line. <laughs> that is it for the season rundown. Let me just jump right in here to my favorite episodes, and then Jeff will get your feedback. Since we're talking about the party, the party comes in at number three in my top three episodes. I've always loved this episode. I know that there's some plot holes and I'm not a fan of the clinger mother thing. But other than that, I really do find this to be a very sweet, fun, charming episode. My number two episode in the season is A Night at Rosie's. There is one moment that makes me smile and laugh every single time. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but there's a moment where Radar comes in. And walks up to BJ, and BJ is dancing with a nurse. We got a big problem here. I called HQ. I had them check this guy out from here to Tokyo. And, and there's no record of him whatsoever. We'd want him in the first place. He's not listed anywhere. As far as they're concerned, this guy doesn't even exist. The army is always right. Huh. Watch Gary Berghoff. Watch Radar in that scene. He begins swaying as he's talking in time with BJ and the nurse dancing. It is so subtle, but it is so funny. Mm. I absolutely adore that moment, and I adore this episode. By the way, I thought A Night at Rosie's was going to be my number one until I went back and watched this entire season, and I realized how much love I have for the episode Dear Sis. Mm. The moment with Winchester and the toboggan cap gets me every time. Mm. And I love that that toboggan cap comes back and makes appearances in other episodes. And it also features one of my favorite moments of the entire series with the cast singing Done Nobis Pacem. Mm -hmm. And then that closing moment with the voiceover from William Christopher. You know, sis, it doesn't matter whether you feel useful or not when you're moving from one disaster to another. The trick, I guess, is to just keep moving. An absolutely gorgeous episode, and that is why Dear Sis is my number one episode from season seven. Uh, who directed that? I'm sorry, I forget who you know. Well, I know it was written by Alan Alda. Right. Let's see, it was directed by Alan Alda. Oh, Alan Alda. You know, uh, he sure knew what he was doing. He did. Amazing. Yeah, well, there you picked three wonderful episodes. I, uh, I concur, except I have three favorite episodes. All right, let's hear them. Let me see. Hold on. It's... Our Finest Hour, Our Finest Hour, uh -huh. and Our Finest Hour 2. <laughs> <laughs> I love those three episodes because those episodes, they actually did show moments from the show that were really, really funny mm -hmm. and really set off and showed various personality traits that I think were very, very important to all of the characters. And I think it was a tip of the hat to a lot of that that went on over the years. And luckily, Igor showed up in a number of those. And so for that reason, for purely ego's sake, <laughs> I love those episodes. I watch them over and over and over. I get popcorn and gin, and I just sit there and <laughs> eat the popcorn and drink the gin and watch those episodes over and over. But all kidding aside, it's a delicious little tribute to moments in the show that were just golden and beautiful. And luckily, I was kind of part of those moments as well. So it uh, doesn't mean those other episodes that we all have talked about and referred to are not great, mm -hmm. but I like watching those just because I'm in them. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also, I mean, I want to make it clear. I'm, I'm being funny because I, well, I'm not really being funny. I do like, like watching myself. 
But I really love watching the moments that they chose that I wasn't even in, the moments that they chose of the characters doing very interesting things from the past shows that went on to be very character-oriented. I really enjoyed seeing that stuff. We'll be right back after this word from (laughs) Marriott Hartley, who will tell us what the heck we know her from. (laughs) Something like that. Well, there you go, folks. Season seven in the books. We finally did it. Wow. By my calculations, we will be back with the season eight recap, October 15th of 2025. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So get your seats while you can. (laughs) And, you know, I have to say, I think it's wonderful. I thank you for everybody who wrote and, and really expressed your reasons for liking these shows. They're very, very intelligent and they're very interesting to read and hear. Well, let's be honest. This was a television show. It did last 11 years. Very popular, but it was a television show. But the analysis of the plots and the themes and the ideas and the jokes and the things that we saw in each of those episodes that were sent to us are just stunning. And I I loved reading them. I loved hearing them. And thank you to what a great intelligent listenership we have, I think. I'm pretty sure at least these people are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your comments. And we will be back with another episode soon. Until then, here's looking up your old address.